You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello there, this is Stuart Goldsmith talking to you from June 2017. And if you're listening before the 3rd of July, then you can order a brand new ComCom t-shirt with the awesome new horse design by Polly Becker from comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch at a discounted rate. Now enjoy this episode from the archives. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Carmen Lynch. And many thanks to the Place Hotel on York Place in Edinburgh for their assistance in letting me podcast there. This is a a podcast recorded during the Edinburgh Festival earlier this year. Uh, Carmen was not officially at the festival. She flew in, checked the place out and flew out again. Um, But she's an excellent American comic based in New York and uh, with recent appearances on Letterman and on uh, Conan. And you can go to CarmenLynch.com to find out more about her or follow her Twitter at LynchCarmen. I do highly recommend watching her Conan set. It's very, very funny. So if you're not familiar with her, pause this, have a little suss of her online and then listen to this. And I assume you're all back now having done that because technology is so marvellous. This is Carmen Lynch. You're doing quite a weird thing. You're in Edinburgh, but you're, you don't really have a, an official presence. You're gliding through town for a couple of days I'm doing gliding. spots. Yeah. And someone, I, someone showed me, in uh, fact, a, uh, a JPEG of a little electronic flyer yes. detailing on your spots. I thought that's very enterprising. Well, I didn't know I could do random spots. I'm really going to Spain to see my family and I took a detour and said, let me go to London. And then when I found out my friend Liz was here, I'm like, oh, I'll just swing by. But I was just here to hang out. I didn't know you could get spots like that. I thought every single person was doing a monthly show. So I picked up like seven shows in three days. It was pretty Sweet. fun. Sweet. <laughs> okay. And are you, is any part of this kind of a recce for you coming to the UK? Or coming to Edinburgh, are you kind of checking it out? I'm checking it out, yes. I actually am very interested. You know, the outside, if you don't know anything about this festival, it sounds so scary. It sounds like you're just standing outside in the rain all the time, handing out flyers, which I guess might be true, I don't know, but because it was sunny this whole time, and I'm like, this is a beautiful place, and everyone's like, no, it's been raining the whole time. But I look at this, and I'm like, this looks like a lot of fun, and everyone I talk to keeps coming back every year. So I, I think I could. I feel like this year, Americans have learned how to do Edinburgh. Yeah. Because I think in the past, Americans have come here and had very successful shows. But what people will often say is, uh, you know, they'll arrive with a show that isn't written yet. And they'll think, it's going to be a month, which is an absurdly long time to have a festival for. 
And I go, oh, I, you know, I was planning to spend the first two weeks of that month writing the show on stage. And of course, because there's an American in town, all of the press come on day one. Yeah. And they go, oh, they're very all over the place. They're working from notes. And, uh, and also, I think the American style of punch, 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 joke, 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 joke. There's far more of a trend over here for people to do shows about their father or a theme. Right. Like something depressing. Like I told somebody the (laughs) other day that I was there for 9-11 and I was like covered in soot and they're like, that would make a great story for the fringe. And I'm like, it's not funny. (laughs) Oh my God. You know, but apparently there is kind of an American hour here where you just do your stand up. Yes. But I think this year I've seen more and more American acts going, here's me talking about a thing and actually enjoying the yeah, fact that you have an hour to get into something because there's no pressure to get laughs on the hour here, or um, absolutely not. But oh. it, there is such a pressure to stand out from the herd. Yeah, I think that's my that's my own theory. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I feel like that's why there's if there's three thousand shows in town, people want to say to you, like you know, press want to say, what's your show about? What is you know, mm. how's it different to everyone else's? And I think that over time turned into. I'm exploring, I'm wearing the, the uniform that my dad wore in the war or something, you know, something. Yeah. And that almost sounds, I mean, I could be wrong because I've never done it, but it almost sounds easier to write a show every year if it's like that kind of story than coming up with punchlines for every, you know what I mean? For jokes. Like, well, I, I think that's a good point. I think as far as I know from having these conversations, I was talking to Hari Kondabolu and he yeah. was saying the kind of the American attitude, like the British attitude is, hey, we turn over an hour every year. And the American attitude is, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you, yeah. it takes longer to build and stuff. And it, it takes long to really get it evolved and developed. And, you know, can you always, you constantly come up with new little tags for the hour. Well, let's talk about your stuff. As I said mm. before, I've only seen the, the clips of you, a couple of the clips of you that are available online on Conan and on Letterman. And your style, just from those two clips, that's, um, that's all I know of your work, but they're both brilliant. Thank you. You are almost, you're, I would describe you as someone, you're almost like a one-liner comic because it's so lean. The writing is really lean. Yeah, it tends to go that way. Uh, sometimes I cut out too much fat, you know, and I have too to much. add a little bit more in and people are like, I don't get that joke. So I kind of do the opposite. That's fast. Right, we're in. Give me an example of that. Give me an oh example my God. of something. God, it'll be a stupid line like, uh, oh my God, I have no idea, but it'll be something like, I didn't met like this. I don't even know. But I, if I talk about my mom being dramatic cause she's Spanish and instead of saying that she's dramatic, I just say like how she's dramatic. Okay. You know, and I have to be like, oh, I have to tell them that she's dramatic. Yes. Isn't it obvious? But it's obvious to me. So I get in my little like one linery world where I don't share enough. And you're trying to trim. And I and keep trim trying and to trim, trim because trim. for me, it's always been a pressure to get the laughs in, which is not necessarily. And, and the weird thing is like, I'm always told like, you pause so much, you know? And I'm like, it's weird. I do pause a lot, but then I try to put in funny in every second. So I think that's really a, a kind of a cornerstone of your style is that you you can pause because you're about to get to the joke very quickly. Yeah, that could be it. Or I'm just a very slow thinker. Ha! 
Well, which can be true too. Maybe, maybe. So tell me, have you always, how long have you been doing stand up? 13, maybe 14, something like that, 13 and a half years. Okay. Yeah. How are you different to how you started out? Well, I took a class because I was so nervous. I never, I wasn't even supposed to be a comedian. Like, I fell into it by accident. I moved to New York to pursue acting. I went to a show and I was like, oh my God, these people are so lucky. They're just born funny. Like, I thought they were like the models of comedy. You're just, <laughs> you're born like perfect like that personality wise and you just walk up on stage and and I was immediately so jealous because in acting you're always like you know trying to work out or like get rid of your zits and these people didn't have to do anything they could be fat and sweaty and be hilarious and uh, and then someone was like no you you can take a class and I loved writing all the time so and I always wrote my journals and stuff and I was like you can take a class I'll just uh, write for someone I can't do this this is scary I'll write for someone and that's what I'll do. And then I took a class and the teacher was like, you're going to want to do this at the, cause at the end of every class, I don't know if it works like that here, but at the end of every class, there's a performance and he's like, at the end of the course, you're going to want to go on stage. And I'm like, no, I just want to write for someone. And of course, at the very last day, he actually tapped me on the shoulder and said, get up. And I, it was amazing. Like, and that's why it's weird when people say like, oh, I'm too scared to go on stage. Yeah. No, I think we're all really scared. You just kind of get used to the, the fear is, is less than the, the desire kind of thing. So once I did it the very first time I was like, I, this is what I need to do. So what, so it went well, that first gig went well. It, we got five minutes on a Sunday afternoon. There were 15 people in the audience. They told us to invite someone. I didn't invite anyone. I'm like, no one's coming. And, uh, in those five minutes, I did two and a half because I didn't have anything ready. I didn't think I was going to go on stage. And in those two and a half minutes, I got like enough laughs where I was like, oh, but I'm just talking about myself. And it was all, you know, I'm very tall. So it was all like tall stuff. That's, he said, start with what you are. You know, if you have a big head, go on stage or everyone's going to be like, why isn't he talking about his giant head? <laughs> so all my jokes were like really stupid hall jokes. Do you remember the first one you wrote? Do you remember what you opened with? I actually, I mean, this might be embarrassing or cool. I don't know. But it was my opener on, on Letterman it was my very first joke I ever wrote. Which was? Which was, I don't think I'm going to live a long life because I've never seen any really tall old ladies. <laughs> And I, that was my opener for years. And I got kind of addicted to that. Yes. And I was like, you need to change your opener. You wrote your opener that you used for years. It was your very first It was my first gig. joke. It was your first thing. Because to me... God, that's wh annoying. One of the first... I know. I know. And it's like, am I going to get any better? Is that... But, you know, they always say, like, your first laugh is so important. You want to get to your laugh quickly. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay. You know? And that was always like a quick laugh. And then I could start with whatever joke I wanted to do that was longer. Did you, just while we're on the subject of opening lines, did you, as soon as I eventually found an opening line, and it took me years to have a small pithy, because that's not my style at all, I then found, oh, this is great, I can walk on with such confidence and I can improvise because I know that when it's time to, if the improv isn't going great, I can just go bang, there we yes. go, two seconds of a laugh. Now, were you doing that or were you going like, right, I've got the opening line, get the laugh first before doing anything else? Get the laugh first, the first laugh. And then now I do that where I just, I have certain jokes that I still want to do that I like a lot that work really well, but I keep them in the back of my head because I want to do the new stuff. And if that doesn't work, I'm like, oh, just go to the nieces or go to the, you know, but I got addicted to the same, I guess, I don't know if I, yeah, addicted to the same set list for a really long time because I was really scared to fail. I was really scared. 
because, you know, living in New York, you kind of get seen too quickly sometimes. And I got stuff too early. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, what kind of stuff are we talking? Like, uh, last comic standing, the first season came out when I was two years into stand up. And, uh, I was temping and I waited in line at Madison Square Garden for eight hours. And I was dating this guy and I called him in line and after four hours and I was like, I don't want to do this. I think I'm just going to leave. And he goes, what are you going to do? Go back and temp? And I was like, oh yeah, that's true. What else am I going to do? You know? So I waited and you could only do like a minute and a half in front of the producers and they loved it. I would do really short jokes because yep. that was all I had. And that is the, you, did you know at the time that really short, really funny jokes is kind of like the mark of quality? No, I just knew that I needed to get enough in there that they could see the most in a minute and a half, but it was, it also just happened to be my style. Um, so, uh, cause everything I do, I think it's, it's a lot of it is out of fear. Like, oh, I have to get there soon. If, what if I'm late? And you know what I mean? So for me, it was like, oh, how many laughs can I get in this little amount of time? This is, you know, so, um, so I did that and they loved it. So then I got into the last comic standing because I was the only girl, the only comic who waited in line for eight hours. All the other ones were like pros or had been doing it a while, had an appointment. Okay. So they were like, oh, you're going to be the angle of the new girl. So then after Last Comic Standing, I started, you know, because of that, I started getting other stuff. How long had you been going by the time you did Last Comic? Like two years, two, okay. two and a half years. So then I got in the top 20 and I started getting other stuff, but I wasn't ready for that. But then I would get spots and I would just do those seven minutes that worked because I didn't want to disappoint anyone. Yeah, it's difficult, that dynamic, isn't it? You've got to make a decision between, do you, like every gig, you're like, do you grow or do you satisfy? Yeah. Almost, you know, and you're going there thinking, I'm going to grow. And then you walk in and you see the room and you go, I'm just going to try and satisfy. Yeah, <laughs> because back then it was, you know, over 10 years ago, there weren't as many channels. So a lot of people, that was the, I've done Last Comic Standing three different years. And that year I was the most recognized because there were less things to watch. Yes. So there was more pressure. Now it's like there's too many things. Nobody, you know, you barely get recognized for even Conan or anything. I mean, you do when it's on YouTube, it gets more stuff. But but last comic standing, I remember I'd walk into like a club or a a bar and people would be like, oh, you're that girl from last comic standing. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've only been doing this two years. And did you... And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but it strikes me that when you go on a reality show, you are letting other people make decisions about your positioning in a way that doesn't necessarily sit well with what we might imagine a comic's kind of intentions are. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you, they, yeah, I don't know how much I want to get into like the, how much you sign your life away when you sign these contracts or whatever, but they are pretty much allowed to edit and do whatever they want on the show. Um, but, uh, it is a weird situation to be in, especially if you don't know yourself as a comedian yet. Yeah. You don't know your persona because you reach a certain point where you're like, this is who I am and this is what I think is funny, you know, but if it's, if it's too soon, you're like, what am I supposed to do? You know, especially on a reality, reality shows were kind of new at that time, I think. So you're, I mean, I mentioned it cause I, I did one. I, it wasn't quite an equivalent. It wasn't quite like last comic standing. It ran for yeah. one season, wasn't very successful. Um, a se- season, a series to use the UK <laughs> vernacular, but, um, yeah. Okay. Well, if you don't want to get onto that, that's all right. We don't need, we don't need to, to pursue that. But the point is that you got known 
very early on. And I so mean, what we were talking about yeah. was your staying within the safety of existing working stuff. Yeah. And uh, I reached a point. It was not a big... It was not a good thing at home to be a comedian. Like, I come from a very traditional family. You go to college, you get a job, and, you know, you don't go to college and then just not do that and then become a stand-up comic and make zero money. You know, that's not what you do. And I did that. So there was a lot of pressure to stop. So at one, I think about three or four years in, I, uh, I stopped. I was like, I'm done. I don't even know if I'm doing this because I'm rebelling or why I'm doing this. And then also, I, I've always had a boss if I had a job. So I had to self-discipline. And I didn't know how to do that. So Nobody I quit. I talks stopped. about that within comedy. Nobody yeah. talks that. So rarely comes up in conversations in, 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 on this show. The idea that there is no boss. There's no one to say, get up. There's no one to inspire you. You never get promoted. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? None of those things. Like I, my, my partner, uh, stopped working recently. We had a baby when she was working. She would always tell me these things that were happening in her work. Like, Oh, I'm being trained to do this. They're trying to put me in this position. They're suggesting this. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's an HR person I can talk to if I'm concerned about this or that. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, imagine all that scaffolding. Yeah. The career. I mean, in some ways it's nice to have someone looking over to tell you what to do next, but in other ways it's like you get used to this freedom and it's so wonderful once you learn how to discipline yourself to be like, Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to stop or, you know, go this route now and take a sketch class and write a TV pilot or, you know, do the fringe or whatever. But you have to keep, I mean, I think since when you don't have a boss, you're constant, I'm constantly thinking about comedy all the time. You know, even when I'm on vacation, I'm like, what should I be doing? Because it's all, I'm every, like I'm my own boss. I need to make all the decisions. So this is Carmen. She's great fun to talk to. I'm really enjoying this. She's very, very funny. Do check out that that Conan set and the Letterman set as well. They're both online. Um, I am in Japan at the moment, and this is a pre-record. I don't tend to... I mean, I, I obviously... You know, this stuff doesn't go out live, but I try not to record it more than a few days in advance. I try not to. I always try to and always fail. But on this occasion, because I'm uh, I'm going to be in, uh, in Japan, I'm going to be just coming back from Japan when you're listening to this. So um, I thought I'd get this done in advance or rather i didn't think i'd do this daryl thought i should do this and i said yes Mwah. hashtag thanks daryl so uh, that's my editor by the way many of you will know lovely daryl so i imagine i can only imagine that millions of you played along with the latest twitter game that went out with the tony law episode um, but this being a pre-record i'm unable to tell so let's assume that all of you were great and uh, code at code scrivener was the funniest. <laughs> I guess uh, I'm assuming that that person, whatever their real name may be, played along. I'm, and I'm afraid I don't know your real name offhand, but you're someone that pops up in my Twitter feed. And um, I'm also, oh my god, I'm recording this without knowing who won the presidential election. Ah, the past, so safe, so secure. It's the night before at the moment. I'm recording this on uh, Tuesday, the eighth of November, and uh, it's so safe here in the past it's it's edgy because who knows what tomorrow will bring but compared to what tomorrow might have brought by the time you're listening to this oh it's safe here this lovely perpetual not knowing this is very much the option paralysis in which i've lived my entire life but probably more on that in the waffle um i hope it all worked out 
It all worked out, right? Did it? Oh, Christ. Okay, so uh, I want to say a quick thank you to, um, to a, a thank you to a quick list of these people. Um, I got a one-off donation throughout October from, and here's the list, uh, Nikki Mette, Thomas Graham Stewart, great name, Stu, Kate Irene Sam M, the mysterious M, Clara Luke Philip Layton, uh, Claire again, only oh, Claire different to Clara, how many apologies, and Nils as well. Um, so thank you to all of those. Uh, if you would like to join their illustrious ranks by giving me a one off donation of, for example, 20 quid, um, but the choice is yours at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate, uh, or you can be like uh, the many people who set up a recurring payment of, for example, £2 a month. Uh, you can do that at the same place. And if you don't have a PayPal account, you can do it via Moonclerk. Me neither. So, um, also, thank you in particular to Leighton, who sent me something to an Amazon locker. And very exciting it was, too. Exciting and inconvenient. <laughs> very different. Last time I asked for you to put a thing in the Amazon locker near where I was living, I didn't have a baby. I could just saunter over there whenever I wanted. This time it was a, a mad dash through town uh, through which I managed to carry the Boutros in a papoose and feed him with milk on the go. And uh, I think I drew as many admiring Great Dadding Stew glances as I did. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. He'll get wind. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you to all of those people who've donated. And thank you as well to Foggers, who sent me a nice donation, and also this message. She said, just to say that I stumbled upon your show after seeing you on Alan Davies' As Yet Untitled. Haha, my secret marketing strategy worked, talking about the podcast on that show. And whilst it took me a while to get around to start listening, I'm now hooked like an addict and bang on about it to anyone who will listen. Whilst not a comedian myself, I'm a creative, I'm a florist, I knit and sew. And I love hearing the human stories behind the comedians and find their different processes fascinating. It's just a lovely, lovely uh, email to receive. Thank you, Foggers. But she starts with Dear John. <laughs> dearest, in fact, not just Dear John, Dearest John. Um, which I think is because she goes on to talk about the John Robbins interview and she momentarily tripped up. But I think that is the first time me and John, who, as you know, have similar faces, have been uh, mistaken over the medium of audio <laughs> and indeed the written word. But uh, it just goes to show that Foggers is on email, which you really have have to be these days um do come along to all of the things that i'd like you to come along to uh, come and see hell week from the 27th to the 29th of november at 7 p.m at the bill murray which is the newly named newly branded uh, angel comedy club 2.0 that's the bill murray and it's a short walk from uh, angel tube in islington so i'm going to be doing hell week some loosely thrown together improvised ramblings that i'm writing every day and performing every night to try and put a show together early doors and really put the shits up there <laughs> all of my other Comedians. Yeah, yeah, mate, full previews. Let's just jump in. Um, and, of course, please do come along to Redacted on the 15th of December, which, as many of you will know, is it's this, it's in the same place at the special experimental late show time of 10.30pm. That is uh, at uh, the Bill Murray as well. Uh, so you can go to Angel Comedy website to find out more about it. Um, but that will not be advertised anywhere other than on this podcast and in the Comedians Comedian Facebook group. It's a three-hander with me and Pete Dobbing. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm hosting it, and Pete is the sort of... He's the kind of uh, Ed Harris in Truman Show, Cue the Sun live director, who says things like, this bit isn't working, Stu, try it like this. And I'm very grateful to have him. So come and see Redacted, 15th of December at 10.30pm. And uh, that is all for now. Let's get back to the fantastic Carmen Lynch. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the decision to, to stop, you've been going four years. Yeah. And you thought about packing it in completely. How long did you stop for in the end? Well, what I didn't realize is that after last comic standing and I was doing these same sets all the time, I was kind of getting bored because I didn't really know at the time that doing new jokes and not getting as many laughs would make me stronger. And I just thought of like, well, I want people to see me and do well. So I started to not get interested. So I would like, my shows would be less and less every month. I would do less and less shows. And then with the pressure at home, like, what are you doing with your life? Uh, then I stopped and, uh, and I said, that's it. If I'm supposed to be doing this again, I will. But right now I'm not even interested in it. Um, and then I thought once you got something like you were, you just get more. I didn't know there was like a plateau, you know? So I was like, all right, well, I got last comic standing. And then because of last comic standing, I got the show on comedy central. It was like eight minutes. It was called premium blend. And then I got an at the Aspen comedy festival, which was a big deal back then. It was like Montreal and Aspen. And I, so then I was like, oh my God, well, I guess things are just happening. That's just the way it works. And then it kind of slowed down. And I was like, what's going on? I don't understand. I thought I was like funny and I was getting shit. And then I started to get bored. And then when I stopped, it took a year. I got a real job with health insurance, a wow. 401k. I got a real, like a what civilian your, what boyfriend. What were you doing? What was your real job? Uh, insurance. I worked in insurance. Okay. Because I had no experience other I like I had to get a random job I mean it was a real job but you know I couldn't be like well now I'm going to be in advertising it's like I'd go to interviews and they'd be like do you have any advertising experience I didn't get any job so I got this insurance job did you I've always I'm fascinated by this did you try to kind of uh uh what's the word to kind of wrangle your experience as a comic into a sellable trait did you say, oh, I've got no experience of uh, selling insurance, but I have experience on the comedy circuit, well, and that is, you know, that, yeah. after all, isn't insu- people skills something, did you try to kind of fudge it like that? I've always well, I didn't, what I'd do. I didn't uh, consciously do that, but I was extremely shy. Like, I had a lot of panic attacks. I wore a back brace, so I was a very kind of a loner in, in middle school. And so for me to do stand up, like I even like a couple months ago, this guy from college came to my show and he's like, you're the last person I would expect to be a comedian because I just wasn't an out really outgoing person. So the stand up kind of broke that like open. And so the interviews would go better. I would talk to him. You know what I mean? So it really kind of helped me open up. So in that way, I think it really helped get to get a job. And on your first day at work, as an insurance person, having been a comic. Yeah. Did you, what did that feel like going into work and kind of, what was the, I don't know what your working environment was like? The only thing that felt good was that I knew I was getting money and my freedom, like the evenings were open and I started going out. Like I had one friend and I still, all my friends are like performers or, you know, they're in the arts in, in some shape or form except for maybe a couple. And those civilians, those people who aren't in the business, I started going out with them because they had their nights free. 
And I started just hanging out with, you know, regular people. And I got a real boyfriend, like a boyfriend who wasn't in the arts and all that. So I, I immediately kind of became a person, a regular person. I don't even know what other term, how to say it, but you know, a non-performer. And then, uh, about a year into it, that's when I realized I was like, what am I doing? But it took a whole year, you know? Um, and then I was like, no, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to be with this guy anymore. I don't like this job. I want to <laughs> do about, whatever what I want. Friends? What about your civilian friends? Are you still in touch with your civilian friends? I, yeah, no, I still have them. Okay. okay yeah. Fine. Like, and I think I'm, you need those to like kind of keep you grounded. But, but I was like, what am I doing? And it, and I remember this one comedian was like, don't ever quit again. He's like, if, if you ever have a bad time, you have to get through it. But I think this is the one time that I was like, no, I think I needed this because it was a, you know, people get together and they break up and then they get back together and they're like, oh no, this is the one. It was one of those things where I was like, I don't think this is right. You know? And then I was like, uh, yeah, I, I'm miserable. And, and the whole time that I had that year off, I still wrote. Okay. So I just didn't perform. Okay. So now you write, I'm going you were writing in for yourself and kind of banking the stuff. Just banking it because I've always had been like a dear diary or, you know, I didn't start that way, but I mean, I was like, you know, I journaled as a kid. So for me, writing was always, but with no intention of anyone ever seeing it. But then when I started up again, I started to read that stuff. And then I was like, okay, now I realize, but then by then I wasn't really like, you know, I didn't have that like last comic stand. I didn't have that momentum going. So it was kind of nice to go back into like these random bars and just start doing open mics again. And, and tell me about that. Your first gig back when you would, I mean, did you make a decision? I'm back and then book a load of gigs or did you just turn up and do one and go, mm, I'll try it. And no, no, I knew I was back. And then, you know, it's like one of those things where it starts to just, uh, increase over time. Yeah. Like, did you have to like firebomb your office to get, did you have to? Oh, have, I stayed in my work. Oh, you no, did? Cause okay, I had okay. to, cause I wasn't really getting paid gigs. I only left there. Um, I don't know. Like f- I got laid off five years ago. It was when all the, you know, the whole crisis happened. It might've been like six years ago. AIG was the parent company and AIG was kind of like the beginning of the end of the financial institutions. Okay. So as soon as that whole AIG thing was happening, I was like, I'm out of here. And it took about nine months. I was like, come on. I have a comedy parachute (laughs) that enables you. Okay. So like our whole department got laid off and I was like, now I can be a full-time comedian. Okay. That's quite sort of lucky in a weird way, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? It, I, it, it happens when you least expect it. Because at one point I was like, you know what? I guess, uh, I guess we're not getting laid off. I guess I'll just stay. Because it wasn't really getting in the way yet. It's not like I was, you know, turning gigs down in different states and stuff. Um, but it was just, I was tired because I had to get up every morning to go to this stupid job that I hated. And the people were great, but the job itself was just boring and horrible. And did it make you more kind of grateful for the life of a comedian? For that freedom? Did you enjoy the freedom more having tasted The second the regular, time, I, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, and I think, you know, you... I had, by then, by the time I got laid off, I had enough experience where I was like, if you don't push this right now, you're going to have to get another day job. And, you know, and then that's, I think maybe a year later, I don't know, stuff started to happen more. I think I started to get more road gigs. And then, do you know why that was? Were you doing anything differently that made things happen more? No, actually, my worst year was the year before 
for the year I got Letterman. Like I got Letterman in November. So January, that January through right before I got Letterman, that was the wor- financially the worst year that I ever had because, um, I was single. So, you know, the guy I was dating made more money. So he'd like, you know, pay for stuff more. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't have a job. My em- unemployment ran out. My health insurance ran out. So now I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to get another job. And I actually made these business cards and I was like, what am I going to do? So I thought I'll be a Spanish translator because I speak fluent Spanish. And uh, I never used any of those cards. Not one card. I, I babysat for this family on the Upper East Side in New York for maybe two or three months. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was awful. These kids were spoiled brats, and I just wanted to... And of course, you know, everybody gets... I heard that these people get may pay a lot of money up there, because Upper East Side has, you know, there's a lot of wealthy people. But of course, I got the divorcee who has no money. And I was like, I can't wait to get out of here. And then when Letterman happened, I started... Things started... To, I started to get more gigs. I got an agent and all that. And that's when I was like, you need to keep working, or you're just going to have to get a job again so let's talk about the the work let's talk about the writing work what does it what does it look like when you're writing you do you do you say anything on stage that you haven't written oh yeah you do yeah yeah especially um especially at a show where i feel very comfortable you know like it feels like i'm just gonna riff you know this thing happened to me yesterday and i'm gonna talk about it there's no pressure you know i wouldn't do that like at the cellar or something But yeah, like a bar where like it's just people doing new material, absolutely. Or if like I'm I'm doing an hour in like some state and I can just throw it in in the middle of the hour somewhere in between some jokes that work, then yeah. Okay, okay. So when but and when you're doing the the more written stuff, are you a sit down for a certain number of hours per week and write? How do you approach it? It's evolved. It's changed. I used to be like that. At the very beginning, I would write word for word what I was going to say. You know, like, I don't think I'm going to live a long life because I've never seen any really tall old ladies. And then I would analyze that sentence like a freak, you know, because I took a class and I'd learn like, oh, he said, keep the funny words for the very end of the sentence yeah. or whatever. So I would look at that all the time and, and do it that way. And then um, and then I would write in notebooks. I wasn't really a laptop person. I would just carry these little notebooks in my purse and then once the iPhone came out, I just started writing on my phone and then recording. I always record all my sets. I don't listen to all of them, but I just tr- I try and be like, okay, this one has that one line that I said about my mom. And then I'll just look for that line because, you know, I'm sure yeah. everybody hates I, listening. I started trying to label mine now. Yes. Halfway through thing about... Yes. You know, plates or whatever And it, it looks so stupid because if you look at it, it says like, like if I say something about, you know you know, sex or giraffes, it says giraffe sex, three minutes, you know, and if anyone saw that, or one time it said something like parents death. And I was like, if anyone finds this, <laughs> um, but yeah. Talk me through uh, a new bit. Talk me through the, oh. the acquisition of an idea and what you've done to it to try and get the funny out of it. I mean, it's the beginning is usually just an idea and I don't really know what it is, but there's almost like that little light bulb that kind of goes, Oh, I like this. It's different. You know, um, I would say like, for example, like I had this joke about, uh, Liz's cat bit my foot in the middle of the night, you know? And 
I actually, my brain, I, I actually went, oh my God, what was that? Who bit my foot? And I, I was like, oh my God, that's interesting. Who bit my foot? Like, yeah. obviously it's the cat, but my brain is like, what if it was Liz? You know, you start to almost have options, I think. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's almost like it's, I, I don't even think it's a joke yet. I think it's just uh, a funny situation. And then I think about the situ- uh, the setup, you okay. know? So it's almost like I come up with the, the punchline first. Okay. And then I'm like, okay, how am I going to start this? And is that true of like, um, like what's your, what's your favorite bit that you're doing at the moment? Like you're like a reliable bit that you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get some mileage out of this bit. Oh, um, there's a lot of different like styles, but the one, the ones that I really like lately are really dark. Like I have this joke. Do you want me to tell you what yeah, it I mean, is? You, or? If you don't mind butchering it for the sake of analysis. Yeah. Um, I think it's about just getting to the worst case scenario. Like I dated this guy who um, he smoked so much and he woke me up at night um, because his snoring was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I was like, what is inside of him that's causing this horrible sound? And then one day I, I just kept that. I, it would just be on my phone. It'd be like, oh my God, this is the worst sound I've ever heard. Yeah. And it's not a joke yet. Yeah. And so I have a lot of like ideas like that. Okay. And I think it's just reading it enough times where your brain, you know, when you look, get away from something, stop looking at it for a couple of days and then you look at it and you have that fresh view, yep. that fresh look. So a lot of times I have like maybe 25 or 30 jokes I'm working on at the same time. And then maybe like four or five stand out more and then I'll just put those away. And then maybe the next day I'll like just listen to recordings. I won't start jokes. I won't work on jokes. So like different parts of like comedy, you know, like, okay, today I'm going to listen to this. And then I'll go back to that and I'll be like, oh my God, he snores funny. What's inside of him? Oh, he has cancer, you know? (laughs) And, and so now I just say that I'm like, you know, there's something inside of you that wants to come out. And he's like, what is it? And I'm like, cancer. And, and I'm like, this isn't going to work. It's too dark. Everyone who has cancer is going to hate me. And then it usually works. And I think it's just because how the hell do I know that he has cancer? I'm just telling him he has cancer, you know? Yes, I see. So what we're laughing at is not the reality of the situation. It's, it's sufficiently unreal. But what we're laughing at is kind of your hubris and yeah. your, your status within the story. Yeah, that I would know, or or maybe it's just a little bit of a shock thing. Like that's the last thing maybe uh, he would expect, or the audience would expect. You know, um, who do you who do you think your audience sees in you? Like, what, what what's your relationship to your audience? Who are we? I'm not quite sure what I mean. Like by this the question. fan base. Well, no, no, no. I mean, in terms of um, like when you walk out on stage, because I just sort of said status there, and that just got me thinking. Like, what sort of status are you in terms of your audience? What are we kind of looking to you? Are, are you a sort of weirdo or are you a leader or are you put upon? What kind of? I think weirdo because that's the, the more, I mean, I only know that from feedback. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like you're so feedback. awkward. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just okay. like, thank you. I think, you know, or, um, you're so morbid. I get morbid a lot. Um, weird uh quirky i mean it's one of those things that i think like you change over time like at first i think i was way more deadpan and now there's more animation or 
quirkiness and now there's like a little bit more of a darky twist to yes, it yes because your stuff is like i sort of said one-liners before and it's not one-liners it's all narrative driven it's not like random things right but it's like a narrative emerges from the stuff where we learn more about your life yeah i think so it's it's hard to describe i guess and do oh. you feel like it's an option for you the, the, the relationship you have with us? Or do you feel it's like a true reflection of your, your relationship to a crowd? Is it something you've decided to be? Is it a, a version of yourself you've decided to give us? Or is it the purest version? Of no, there, there's no decision. There, it just, I think it's just what it is. I mean, I couldn't have guessed what was going to come out of my mouth because I never, ever thought I would be a comedian, you know? So I never... Uh, listen to anyone's albums growing up. I never, you know, when I started stand up, I just knew Jerry Seinfeld, you know, Bill Cosby, Ray Romano, like the people that everybody knew. Yeah. Um, so there was no like, you know, inspiration. That's really interesting. I do think you've got a very distinctive voice on stage. And I do wonder whether part of that is not having had a great exposure to comedy. I think, I mean, I think so. That's what people have said before. And, uh, I'm not, I move around on stage a lot more, but when I first started, I was really scared. So I would just stand very still and all of the expression would be on my face. That's where all the movement was, you know? And now I think there's maybe a little more in the body. It's connected more to the face, but I was, I think I was just too scared to really put my all into it. So it was just my brain and my face going in. And I think a lot, the two people I did watch a lot growing up uh, were uh, Lucille, I Love Lucy reruns and Carol Burnett. So I think maybe, you know, they inspired me. I'm afraid my knowledge of American culture fails me slightly. They're very, like, they have very animated faces and they're kind of, they're very silly, you know? So I was very silly. Um, at home, but not, you know, not in school. I was very quiet. So can you give us, can you give us an example of a bit of material that you've, if such a bit exists, a bit of material that you've had to drop because it doesn't sit with me? who you are? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I'll come up with something and I'll go, oh, that's good, but it's not me. Or it doesn't, it's like, I think that's funny, but yeah. the, the part of me that I'm sharing with them yeah it's an uncomfortable i don't think it's because it doesn't work anymore because then i would just probably find a way to make it work with like the new version of myself i think it's more that i'm just bored with it okay you know that it's almost uh like when i think about jokes that work that i don't do anymore it's just because i don't think they have that depth anymore that i look for sometimes you know? Can you give us an example? Yeah, like uh, one that I used to open with a lot was um, I'm six feet tall and I have two roommates who are five one and I can't hear anything they're saying. <laughs> you know, and that is is very it's a good opener. I used yep, to, I think yep. that was my opener for the for Letterman. Yes, the, the other okay. one actually. Okay, but but it doesn't do anything for me anymore. Why is that? You know. I don't know. I think it's so simple. It feels very like, um, sometimes I'll do it because I like the jokes that go with it. Cause I talk about living in an apartment with really short people and, and stuff. So I'll sometimes do it just to get into the next stuff, but I don't, I don't get excited about it. I think I'm just like, there's other stuff I'd rather talk about. It's a nice joke though, isn't it? It's I, one of the things I like about it is it is slightly weird because it's like your, what I like about that joke is you're not setting up an unrealistic situation 
It's a completely naturalistic situation. It's just that your response to it is weird. Do you know what I mean? The idea that, yeah. like, yeah, you're obviously only 11 inches taller than those people. So the idea that you can't hear what they're saying is just the fact that you would report that as if it were true. No, but see, that's the thing. That is a perfect example of what we were talking earlier. It's I was on the subway with Liz. <laughs> and yeah, she is quite small, right? <laughs> she was with my other roommate. They both are very short. It, it's a guy and a girl. And uh, he would hate me if I said that. Oh, my God. Um, and uh, and I could not hear what they were saying. And I didn't even I didn't even think of the joke. I sat down and then listened to them while they were standing up. And that's when I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> This is actually for real. Like, you know, you just take that, like that yes. tiny bit of truth and then you start, to, but that was all true, you know? And, uh, and it happened to me my whole life. I was honestly surprised that it took that long because for some weird reason, all of my friends are Liz's height. They're all five one. Oh, and so I'm constantly is. hunching over. Are you, more, are you more comfortable with people who don't I, present well, a my physical mom's threat? Five, <laughs> my mom is five two. So, you know, who knows? But. But that joke pretty much wrote itself. So then I would just put it on my phone. And, and you know, and sometimes you, I, I'm surprised at the things that work. You're like, wow, that is so simple. I that- can't believe. But then it just leads. Now that they've relaxed, it's almost like foreplay. You know, now we've kind of hooked up a little bit. Now we'll get into the deeper stuff. Yeah. You know? But that's what the beauty is, I think, about um, jokes that are that simple is that, you know, you go, is there anywhere else? I can take this, you know, because if this got a big laugh, that maybe there's more. It's some some of it is frustrating to me when I think of the amount of work I put into trying to write comedy. Yeah. And sometimes when you just say something that you consider obvious and they yeah. go nuts and you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's like the, the, to me, that's the 90% of the reason why you should record your set is because half of the time yes. you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I, I have, if, if I don't record it, I have, I have the worst memory. I don't know what I said. I can't repeat that. It's also for me, it's probably 90% of why I find comedy so addictive because there's always this challenge of going if somewhere over the rainbow is the idea that you can just walk on and just be funny. Yeah. With no preparation because you've learned how to it. Like, it's almost like you've learned Kung Fu, you know, when someone's been yeah. doing it long enough, someone tries to mug them and they don't even notice that they're just spinning them off, you know, into the distance. Surely there's a comedy equivalent where you know yourself, you have your voice. I mean, people like, I don't know what, someone like Lewis Black or someone who's been going 30 years yeah. plus might be in a situation where you're just like, right, well, here it is. And just everything they say is funny. To me, that's like... It's the gold. And I think that's what's so beautiful about stand-up is that, you know, even if you're 15 years in, you're still learning stuff and you're still, you know, becoming more and more comfortable in front of your audience. Because I remember when I was like seven years in, I was talking to someone who was like 15 years in and I'm like, are you bored yet? And he's like, no, this is a constant awareness thing where you just, you know, you're constantly learning about the craft of stand-up, you know? What do you see in comedy that you could happily never see again? My word, I hate this so much. I hate it when people say, uh, oh my God, it's such, a, it's such an American thing. I've, I haven't seen it out here. But it's like, um, it's like a stock line, like, uh, hey guys, like, hey guy, it's not hey guys. Um, do you get that, guys? You know what I mean, guys? Like, there's certain comics that are, and I know new, newer comics do that, but I've seen people who are 
I'm like, dude, you've been around long enough. And it's, I can't think of the phrase cause I haven't been, <laughs> I haven't been in the States in like two and a half weeks or whatever. It's all gone already. <laughs> but yeah, but I don't really see that out here. Um, but lines that it, it goes with that whole cut the fat stuff where I'm like, it's like ums and stuff. And I know I um a lot, but it's just lines where, does this ever happen to you guys? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I would, instead of saying that, I, I'm more of a fan of like, I went to the street the other day and, yeah. you know, like. Do you feel you need to link your stuff or does it appeal no. to you? To, yeah, <laughs> your eyes lit up as well. I wish I'd been taping this for video. You were like, no. No, <laughs> I love going from like cats to, you know, rape. No, you know what I mean? Like just to change it up a little bit like yeah. that. I mean, sometimes there's a natural segue, which I think those are fun. You know, if you say death, which reminds me of my grandmother and that, you know what I mean? But no, I don't think you need those. When you are trimming the fat in order to get to the laugh faster, that, it, that it, the whole thing be more lean, where does that come from, that desire? Is that from a because is it a desire for professionalism or to get more jokes in i'm just wondering if there's anything to because i don't have that kind of discipline i aspire to i don't it. think it's i don't know if it's discipline it's it might be bad it might be like a perfectionism or it might be a a fear of of not uh, i think it's more perfectionism like oh well how can i get the laugh sooner do i need this word it's almost like chemistry like i was very analytical growing up so i'm like do you need that sentence take it out Oh, no, you know what? They don't get it. Let's put it back in. It's funny. I think some of our best short joke writers come from a science background. Yeah. I really do because there is such a craft involved of like of measuring yes. and measuring and, and uh, observing and tweaking and stuff like that in a way that I'm much more like, um, uh, I, I can't even remember what's the expression is an expression in painting where before you, before you start painting, you kind of rough up the canvas with a load of kind of general paint. Yes. Ibosh, I think. Iboshing the camera. Oh. I can't remember. Um, I'm like that on stage. I'm like, ugh, 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 you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just far more like that. Um, and I think uh, I'm always really, the few one-liners that I have, the very few short jokes I've written in my 11 years as a comic, I just like, oh God, I've got to, I've managed to carve one out. I've managed to mine a short joke that can save me. Right. And I think... Um, but I... I also think it comes from starting in New York because in New York you have like, oh, you're you know, doing like you, three when you start, sets. yeah, you're doing five minutes or maybe seven or maybe, maybe 10 if you brought 10 people or, you know, I don't know if they still do that, but you know, you have very short sets. I saw a bunch of uh, comedy clubs in LA last year and um, like there was a lot of people on the bill. You don't have like 20 people. Is that, were you used to that? Is it like that in New York as well? Is there that environment when you're starting out that you kind of, you turn up, it's not a club where there's five acts on. It's right. a club where there's 15 acts Well, especially on. if you're just starting because you're doing open mics that run hours and then you're like, and why am I still here? And, you know, half of the audience is left. But, uh, but I think it's more compared to people in like the Midwest or who are just doing the road a lot when they start. Like I remember there were people at the same level as me who were like stressed about putting a five minute set together. And to me, I'm like, that's the easiest thing in the world. But I was stressed putting 25 minutes together because my stuff is so short that I would need like 85 jokes and they're just telling stories yeah. and they're like, Oh, do you want to go open and do 25 minutes? And I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm really scared. I'm definitely one of the other camp. 
But uh, I'm really kind of in awe of anyone who's like, oh, yeah, 85 jokes. I think that's such a strong, that's such a skill to have. And pretty great for TV as well when people say, oh, can you be funny for two minutes there? Yeah. But it's also bad if you, because you have to remember more, more, it's, you know, line. How are you, like how are you an remember, outline. How are you remembering the stuff? How do you, uh, with you said you've got a terrible memory. Have well, now, tricks to kind of one of the things together? that I've learned in the last few years that took me a really long time to learn is that if I am relaxed, then I can, it doesn't matter if I had two hours of sleep or if I have a hangover or whatever. If I am relaxed, I can have a good set. You know, but for a very long time, I was like, you need to memorize your jokes and you need to memorize your outline. And, but if you're nervous, that stuff doesn't even matter. Cause I, when I'm nervous, I freeze. Nothing is in my head. But if I relax, that stuff is there and I'm open and I'll think about, you know what I mean? So, uh, there are so many jokes that at first it was hard. I'd be like, cat's mother, friend. You know, ex-boyfriend, dog, bed. And I'd be like, was it bed or dog? And now I'm just like, who gives, you know, like, who cares? Like, just remember the beginning and the end and trust yourself. Like, trusting myself, I think, the confidence, I think, to me is my hardest thing. So it's like, you know, I would always have to remember so many words because my jokes were so short. And I feel like someone who had a two-minute joke about dogs just has to go, oh, dogs. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh. And then you'd look at people's set list, and I'd have like 12 things, and they'd have four. And I was like, I hate you. <laughs> but you, you deal with that by just relaxing into it. But now it's like, yeah. I mean, I look at it still, and I think I still look at it too much, but I'm more like of chunks. Okay, well, dogs leads to the mom joke, and I'll, you know... But it, I'm not as insane about it. Okay. You know? So where are you at the moment in, in your career? What kind of, what kind of gigs are your, your bread and butter? Are you doing your own hour-long shows? Are you touring? Whereabouts are you? Yeah, I, I've been headlining around the country for, um, I guess, like three or four years. And how long is a, a usual headline set in the States? Um, mine are usually 55. They run anywhere from 45 to an hour. I mean, sometimes they'll be like, can you just do 45? Cause we have another show right after. And then sometimes I'll let you do an hour. Okay. And so I just taped my first album. Um, Great. so that'll come out in a couple months. Okay. If I listen to it ever. I mean, I taped it in San Francisco and then I flew to London. So I haven't heard oh, you it. You haven't yet. even heard it back yet. Okay. No. But you were happy with the recording. I mean, I was happy on stage, but I, you know how sometimes you listen? I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of worried about listening to it, but I think it's fine. I think whenever you tape something, you have to tape three in a row and go, oh, I taped all of them. I taped seven shows. <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> and there were assholes in the audience. I'm like, I'm recording this. And they'd be like, Mah! and I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> um, so, so I'm doing that. So, and then I go to Spain, like I'm leaving for Spain tomorrow okay. um, to do Spanish comedy. So I've been doing Spanish jokes. How long have you been doing Spanish comedy for? Like three years. Okay, tell me about that. Yeah. I was talking to uh, Loya Sugola, who's South African, uh-huh. who was talking about you know, doing material in different languages. Oh, well, it's so hard. It's interesting. It? It's funny because it's like being a new comedian, but you have the experience of being on stage. Yeah. So because it's a different language and, you know, Spanish, like the, the verbs are in the wrong place or in a different, you know, everything's just mixed up. And then you don't know, like, are, what do they find funny? Are you translating existing stuff? Both that, but now I'm starting to just create jokes that are Spanish. But it, yeah, the beginning. And I'm only doing this in Spain. I haven't really found, yes. you know, venues in America that do this. So I don't really get to practice it. Okay. I, I practice the Spanish with my mom all the time, but I don't, you know, do jokes for her or anything. 
but yeah, the order's different. Everything's different. So, uh, so I have the stage confidence, but the jokes are, you know, the confidence of being a Spanish comedian is not there. What's your Spanish opener? I have to, I don't know. I haven't done it in a year. So <laughs> okay, I'll find okay. out tomorrow. Can you tell us a joke in Spanish? I'd just be interested. Yeah. The Todos los hombres bajitos me siguen como si fuera Blanca Nieves. Okay, go for it. Can you translate that? I said, this is an old one. And that's what I find out. Spanish comedy, you know, isn't as, uh, hasn't been around as long. Okay. As like, you know, UK and American comedy. So what I find that works easier to, you know, to start off with is more of the like, I don't want to say like simple because that makes them sound stupid, no, but, sure. but the basic stuff, like I'll open with tall jokes in Spain okay, because everybody has tall friends, you know? So that, what I said was, you know, short guys follow me around like I'm Snow White, which is a joke I wrote so many years ago. It's embarrassing, <laughs> but you know, they have short people and they see that I'm tall and that stuff, that kind of stuff works. Okay. And then, uh, and then I'll start in every show. In Spain, it's easier to add newer stuff all the time because I give a shit less. Okay. You know, like if I'm doing shows that, uh, where I kind of want to impress someone more in the States, unless if I have an open mic, obviously I'm doing new stuff. But if I have shows where I'm like, Oh, I, sh- I need to do well tonight, then I'm going to do my, newer you know my good stuff or yes. my stuff that works but in spain uh it's probably the only time i'm gonna be there in a year <laughs> okay okay you know there, and they've a... introduced me as this american comedian yes so they kind of laugh at you know some every once in a while my spanish is fluent but it's eighth grade fluent yes okay. so i don't know like the lingo as well so they, they're kind of laughing at me a little bit, which is okay, because I'll take anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Is there, is there a circuit in Spain? Is this just for fun? Is it? No, a, no, there's a circuit. It's, it's pretty, uh. Like theater shows? Yeah. Or, yeah. So if you can crack it. Totally. Like I am a headliner in America, but in Spain, I've been doing 25 minutes. So I'm like a feature. I'm like okay. a middle act. So I know comics in Spain that I've met through open mics and stuff. And, you know, they're like, wow, your jokes are really funny. They can tell that they're funny, yes. but they might be like, you know what? That's a really funny idea and a great joke. And I know you do this in America because I've seen it on whatever. Yeah. But use this word instead because that word doesn't really work in, you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. So, so they're like, and then uh, a lot of like the guy that I work with a lot in Spain does jokes in America. So he'll come to, he's coming to New York in October and he's from Spain. So, you know, I help him get stuff in the States and he'll be like, do you want to open for me? And I'm going to Madrid in a couple days and I'm going to open for him. Okay. That's so cool. So it's cool. How exciting is that to do a different thing like that? It's very interesting. I'm huge in Spain. (laughs) I would love to be like, uh, yeah, I'm like big in Spain and it's my second language or whatever. That would be fun. But... It's, it's, it's a fun, it's kind of like a crossword puzzle more, you know, it's a challenge. And then the best feeling is, uh, is when you're done and you come back to the States or, you know, if I came back to London or wherever to do English comedy, because it's, it's literally like you've been ice skating for three hours and you take off your skates, (laughs) you know, when you can walk and you're like, this feels so easy. Yeah. 
it's like that. You're like, oh my God, thank God I'm speaking English again. Yes. I um, I like to hire and drive around a motorhome when I go on holiday. A big clunky, uh. as big and clunky as I can test my fear against. And then I get back into my tiny little VW Golf and I'm like, oh my God, this is a Lamborghini. Yeah, <laughs> around the place. Yeah. So are you, are you getting what you want from comedy? Do you have everything you want? What, what is there that you, that you still want? I mean, I still want like TV and I want to make, like I'm making a lot of videos now. Like that's my thing. I go on YouTube and I've posted really ridiculous stuff. How many videos are we talking? What's I mean, that? I just started because I learned I've been wanting to do this. I have a web series. Liz and I did a web series. Apartment, Apartment C3. C3. Yeah. With our other roommate, the two, Five one. Oh, just genuinely the three of you. Okay, the gen- right. We genuinely lived together, and we did. And Chris is an amazing uh, videographer and editor, so he was living with us while he was editing. It was a perfect scenario. So, so we did like right. four. I think we did forty episodes. Okay. And then he got I cl- busy. I clicked on one. I saw the one that was uh, um, uh, found life coach lessons. Oh my god! See, that was one. It's fun. you should watch other ones because I don't know if that I one really was, that, was that good one. Because uh, when Chris got really busy, because he shoots a lot of models, he's like a fashion videographer. Um, Liz and I were were like, well, we want to keep doing this web web series. We love it, you know. And he's like, well, you're gonna have to edit the videos. And we tried it once, or, and we were like, we don't know what we're doing. So we just stopped, and we never went back to it. So now that you know, like I've learned iMovie so now it's on my phone and I'm making at least you know I don't know I think I've posted like 15 a lot of them are really stupid and they're super short but they're so fun and I think deep down I've always wanted to be like really silly and uh and I think that's coming out in my stand-up more but in the videos I think it's okay it's more prevalent and what what's your kind of um if all of your dreams came true in stand-up, what's uh, or in comedy in, in your in my career, life, yeah. I uh, I mean I would want to be like a Kristen Wiig or a Will Ferrell or someone who just does a lot of stand. I mean, or well, they don't do stand-up, but because um, I want to do stand-up all the time. So it, I guess it would be more like you know uh, someone who could just do movies or television and then just keep doing stand up. So I guess I ha- you know just keep going and and be international. I would love to be more international. That's why I came to London and I'm going to Spain. I wanted to check out the fringe out here and uh, you know I feel like I'm inspired to to maybe do this next year. Um, so just, and the traveling, to me, the traveling, I've always been, a, I come from like a military family, so we always traveled. So, I mean, traveling is like one of my favorite things. So I think I use comedy as an excuse to check out the world, you know? There's a couple of other comics I know of who are military background, British comics. I should put you in touch with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys always seem to get along. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't had an apartment in a year. I, all my stuff is in storage. Okay. And I've been traveling... I sort of have a base in LA and, uh, you know, New York. I crash with friends, but, you know, this is, I haven't really figured out what I want to do. So I kind of just, I'm traveling around and, mm-hmm. and I, I seem to like that. If you were to review yourself, if you saw yourself yeah. on stage and you reviewed yourself honestly, yeah. what would you say? To that, to myself? Yeah. What would be the review that you wrote if you, if you, oh, if if a you, review you know I mean? as yeah. a review? Okay. As a review. She's weird, but she's funny. I think I'm, I, I'm, I, I mean, weird. I don't know. That's weird. I mean, in terms of, yeah. in terms of highlighting, what I'm asking you to do, I suppose, yeah. is highlight the flaws that you're aware of that you, oh. hope, that you hope you're getting away with. 
the flaws. So maybe like stuff that I should work on. Yeah. Kind of thing. Of that. Yeah. I think looser has always been a thing and I think it's happening. It's just very slow. And what's the advantage of being more loose? Why is it that you want to go towards it? Because I think that's where the gold is on the inside. The more comfortable you are and the, the more fearless you are, the more your creative side comes out. I mean, it's a weird, uh, I guess it's like a catch 22 because I feel like the reason I did stand up was because I was so shy and I was so repressed and I kept everything inside. And then one day that cracked and I just started to just vomit all my comedy out. You yes. know what I mean? And if I hadn't been that, I don't think I would be here today. But I think that shell is constantly shattering and there's more coming out. You know, like one of the very first uh, managers I met wasn't my manager was like, you have great jokes, but you really need to get into improv. And I was like, I don't want to be an, an imp- you know, I don't want to do improv. And he's like, no, you need to connect with your body because you're just telling jokes. Yes. You know, you're just standing you're just there standing and telling there jokes. Telling jokes. And, uh, and I've taken improv and I've done stuff, but it's the more, uh, now I'm way looser than I used to be. And, you know, I think when you start getting stuff, you care less because there's a little bit more of a, um, foundation and a little bit more trust that you're kind of on the right path. So I think I would just tell myself, just keep doing that. Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, if if I'm not happy, I uh, I might be like frustrated, but it's uh, it's probably what everyone, you know, everybody wants more. So I have to self check and be like, you need to be grateful because you're constantly wanting. Like if I want too much, then I'm unhappy. You know. Do you see comics who are? I love I love it when people say yes. I love it when people say no as well because yeah. it's sort of interesting. No, I mean I go way. through. I definitely go through no's. But you're catching me uh, like traveling right now, sure. and I'm you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, you're not doing a show here. You're not freaking out about your houses, your numbers, or no stress. Yeah, you're on holiday. And that yeah, exactly. I'm doing ten minute sets at the fringe. You know what I mean? How stressful is that? Not stressful at all. So when you see other less happy comedians than yourself. Yeah. What do you, what would you tell them? What would be your, because as someone who's pretty centered. Yeah. On it, I mean, I, th- I wonder if it comes from you always, you know, you were in a shell. This is your means out of the shell. I yeah. spoke to Cameron Esposito recently. Yeah. And she is someone who's like just a champion. She's like, oh, I didn't know what I was. And then bang, this is what I am. It's like a real, she seems a pretty happy dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what would you say to help other comics who are, you know, I mean, it's, know it's of- so cliche, but it really is to just keep going because you have to keep writing, you have to keep performing and you, um, and it's things that are invisible. It's, you don't know, but you're, you're slowly learning about yourself. You're slowly becoming more confident, you know, sure. You want to like, you know, contact that agent and send them a video and whatever, but I think getting on stage is absolutely the, the most important thing in the world. Almost more important than writing, I think, because you can write on stage, you know. Um, but you can't get on stage in your office. Yeah. No, and actually I would do that a lot. And that really did help. I would get, not in front of the mirror, but I would just practice what I wanted to say. And then you, I think you reach a certain point where you just don't want to do that anymore. But that actually really helped me a lot 
would, I would, you know, read my set and then I would do my 10 minutes before going to my open mic. And I think that really helped me at the time. That's weird. If I've spent all morning writing and then I do a gig, chances are it works really well. And then I think, Hey, that stuff works. And then I do it the next night having not thought about it all day. And I go, that doesn't work so well. Yeah. How many times am I going to do that before I learn? (laughs) So finally then, and you can interpret this question however you would like. What would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh my God. Does it have to be funny? I don't know. Um, <laughs> clueless. No, I don't know. Um, it might, is, is it, it cheesy? It's so cheesy. But I, I think the one thing about me that's always there is that I'm constantly looking. I'm looking for, I don't know if it's, uh, looking for awareness or looking for, you know, I'm always, like if I'm traveling, it doesn't matter what town it is. I'm always like walking outside and I'm observing, you know? So I feel like this is going to ruin the whole podcast because I don't have a word. Still, what would you say about me? Still looking. Good work. Still looking. <laughs> still, the still made it so much better. There we still go. looking. <laughs> So that was Carmen. Thank you very much to her for coming on the show. Do check out her stuff online. She's very, very funny, very deft, very good use of language. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy her stuff. I hope we see her again soon. I hope it was just a a recce for Edinburgh and that we'll see her next year. So uh, do keep an ear out for her. Thank you again to the Place Hotel on York Place in Edinburgh. It's far too rich for my blood, but I'm very pleased to advertise it to any of you who might have a little bit of budget. Um, Thank you to Tom DL as well, who's been helping me again uh, with uh, with the mailing list stuff i'm trying to advertise the tour you can go as you know to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour for all of my latest tour doings those are all released and on sale now and remember if you listen to this show then you get to use the the code vera v-e-r-a like the girl's name and on one of my oldest jokes (laughs) um so uh vera is the code you can get a, a discount on almost all of the venues have a little check out of how to do that um i think one two or possibly three of them have some different way of doing it or like a limited number of discounted tickets so try and enter it into whatever website you're buying your tickets on if it doesn't work give me a shout i will tell you how to do it or take action accordingly i will probably regret saying that come and see hell week from the 27th to the 29th of november at seven o'clock at the bill murray in angel and at the same venue redacted the comcom late night chat show 10 30 on the 15th of december come along to that um the first lot hell week the the improv uh slash partially written slash god knows what's going to happen preview shows bring all your friends redacted just bring yourself it's just for us and thank you to Daryl, who edited the show. Hashtag thanks, Daryl. That concludes the podcast. I'll chat to you if you fancy sticking around in a sec. <laughs> we don't need to include that sigh. We can leave it in if you like. <laughs> I think I just ran out of breath. I'm not, I don't feel like sighing. Someone asked me how I was yesterday, and I told them I was excellent. And uh, I said, I'm great, thanks, how are you? And I then worried, because I knew this person occasionally listens to my podcast, I thought, oh, they know I'm doing the thing. I should have just made that change to my life without, you know, that, that decision to answer the question, how are you, with I'm great, thanks, how are you, rather than going, yeah, you know, not so bad, and minging around. Uh, minging around? Yep, that's a thing now. Um... I wonder if anything in the podcast will come back to haunt me. That's a terrible idea, isn't it? I always remember thinking of um, 
Louis C.K.'s material about his girls when they were babies. Probably now that he's one of the biggest comics ever, and their friends, if they want to, can listen to his material about them and all the awful stuff they did. Um, but I suppose, from their perspective, there's there's no need to listen to that stuff. But uh, it is funny to be sort of... Uh, I, I forget that I'm saying this. I'm in a room on my own at the moment, and uh, I like talking to you. And uh, I find it very therapeutic. I'm sure it's contributed to, as the podcast has, to my improving state of mind. Um, but then, of course, sometimes you meet people and they know more about you. <laughs> I keep meeting my uh, my future mother-in-law. I was going to say prospective mother-in-law. It's very much on the... It's, it's beyond on the cards. <laughs> it's tattooed on. But uh, my future mother-in-law, whenever I see her, I go, oh, I've been up to this. And she goes, I know, I know, because she listens to the pod, which is lovely. Hello to you. So um, I just wanted to quickly talk to you about swimming, and then I'll go. Um, swimming and the material writing thereof. I've got a bit about swimming, and I'm trying not to do what I always do, is I find in the writing process, I find a new little nugget, and I go, this will work this will work and then i historically would blow that up into oh i'll get 15 minutes out of this it will save me this is a terrible attitude that i no longer need to have i'm gonna have to whiz through this because the recycling men have arrived so it's gonna get very loud outside um they're the people who come and uh, take care of all my material boom <laughs> that was a boom and crash in the background i hope the audio picked that up um so i'm trying not to so i'm like i've had a funny thought about swimming and i've got that sort of sense that i'm i'm fine-tuning these days that uh that that sense of like oh there's something in this this is this has been on. it's more just a recognition that this has been on my mind recently and i think i can talk about it in a way i haven't heard it talked about before that's the sense i think that's the that's the aerials that's what flashes up on the the head-up display there's something about swimming. My partner loves swimming. I consider it boring. And uh, it's one of those things that I'm always glad I went, but I never want to go. And there, there's, a, there's a lot of those things in life, aren't there? There's things like, um, I find cooking a meal is a bit like that. Always glad I did it. Can never be bothered to actually get started. So swimming's one of them. It's just, and I feel it's in that camp. We also have been wild swimming a bit, and that's quite a fun thing. I always think wild swimming sounds like drowning. <laughs> it sounds like just a euphemism. Um, and uh, there's uh, also we need to take the the boy swimming. So that's on my mind a lot. I'm taking him swimming on Wednesday lunchtimes, and very fun it is too. Um, again. It seems like a bit of a drag, and then you do it. You go, no, that was really good, and he obviously likes it. So I had this idea, one of the main features of adulthood, one of the defining characteristics for me of being an adult, is that no one can make you go swimming anymore. Or not, they, I mean, like, they can, <laughs> gunpoint, or if someone's drowning nearby or something. Um, but no one tends to make you go swimming. And it's just, I thought that was a funny way to talk about the difference between being an adult where things, be, be, being a child where things are done for you and being an adult where you have to be responsible for your own things. I think I'm thinking a lot at the moment about responsibility and how self-involved I've been. I mean, <laughs> he said to a recording device in a room on his own, intending to make other people listen to it. No, surely not, in his show in which he talks to other people about their self-obsession and their desire to foist it on other people. Um, and uh, even referring to himself in the third person here doesn't really help in context. But um, I, obviously I think a child makes you a bit less self-obsessed there's less time for self-obsession um but i think there's more, more there's more richness to be found in in the idea so I'm, I'm just sort of excited about the idea but 
it's one of those ones that worked on stage with a hundred people in the room, you know, th- th- playing with it in between two firm bits of material, you know, at a, at a, at a pro gig. Going, yeah, there's this stuff in this and pulling it apart. And then you go away, you listen back to it. You write, I get go away, I listen back to it. I write down the bits that I liked. I explore it a bit. And then I try and recreate the magical thing I improvised and it falls a bit flat at an open, uh, an open mic night. So, um, that's where we are. I'm in the pressure cooker. I hope Japan went well. I hope the election went well. Um, I shall be back now uh, into the world by the time you hear this. But uh, here I am, safe and snuggled up in the past, and so looking forward to this tour of Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, Tokyo, Fukuoka, and Osaka. Uh, so hello again to everyone I met there and uh, <laughs> in uh, in quite a potentially sort of quasi-Japanese anime kind of way. It's quite nice to be speaking in a sci-fi way into the future, reminiscing on what a great time I probably will have had. Yeah, marvellous. I'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.